Well, welcome everyone to the eight. We're happy that you were here. The eight is our second service here at St. Mark Coptic Orthodox Church. We are wrapping up a series here called Immeasurable, and this is our third part of our series. Forgive me in advance, the question I'm about to ask would or should make all of us feel a little bit uncomfortable. So I'm co- hopefully I'm covering everybody, but I hopefully this question makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but it also brings reality. What do you call a group of people? What do you call a group of people who are lying, cheating, greedy, lustful, porn-watching, racist, jealous, judgmental, lonely, angry, who eat too much, spend too much, drink too much, worry too much, who gather together because they believe there is more to life when we pursue the light of life, Jesus Christ. What do you call a group of people that fall into this? The church. This is what the church is. You know, I'll be honest, I get super annoyed when, when people tell me, you know, I stopped coming to church, man, because it's just full of judgmental people. Every time I come, they're just always judging my hair, always judging the way I look, always judging where I am in life. That's why I stopped coming to church. I want to be like, hello, everyone at church is the exact same thing. This is why throughout the centuries, and I've said this before, if, if, if you've come here before to say more, the, the imagery that I love of describing who the church is or what the church is, is what has been described in the first four centuries of Christianity. When the church was irresistible and there was something irresistible about Jesus and of how the church grew exponential, what made the church so irresistible is that it was described as being a hospital. A bishop from the fourth century described the church as being a hospital where we come with our brokenness, we come with our limited logic and connect with the one who is above logic, above logic, the one who is unlimited that the limited comes to connect with the unlimited. This is the power of the church. This is what the church is. We all got issues. Every single one of us has issues that come in different shapes and sizes and and, and, in different forms. But there is two things that I'm assuming is true for everyone in this room. A, you have some type of curiosity of who Jesus is, And B, you have some type of interest or curiosity in ancient Christianity. You have some interest in wanting to know what is the pre-denominational form or faith of Christianity that has existed throughout the centuries. And the one thing that made Christianity so irresistible and made it such a powerful movement throughout throughout history was one component of Jesus that made him so attractable to so many different, attractable is not a word, what made him so attractive to so many people was this one component. And it is grace. Grace. Grace is something that we love to get, but it's so hard to give to others. We want to sit there and judge, well, they deserve this, they deserve me to tell them that, but it's so hard for us to extend grace to others. Maybe for some of us, it's hard to extend grace to that one person. Maybe it's hard to extend grace to that group of people. Maybe it's hard to, to, to extend grace to that, certain, that type of person because that person reminds you of something from your past, so it's hard to extend grace or love to that person. 
Do you know why it's so hard for us to extend grace to others? Jesus asked a question 2,000 years ago that it is so true today of why it is so hard to extend grace to others. Let me put this disclaimer. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this question is for you. If you are still kind of like one foot in, one foot out, you don't have to bother diving into this question. This is not for you just yet. This is the question Jesus asked. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Why do you make it so big deal of the trying to, you trying to fix that one thing in someone else's eye and you kind of point fingers at them because they got that one thing wrong when you have this huge plank in your own eye? Like, why do you make a big soul focus on them when you're not even sitting there putting focus on your own issues yourself? Jesus kind of hit his followers with this question and he's hitting us with that question as well. And if we get to the bottom of this question, this is why it is so hard to extend grace to that person. Because it is so hard for for us to answer this question. Maybe for some of us, we say, well, Father Nathaniel, why? I'm, I'm giving it to that person because it's not they don't have sawdust in their eye. They got a plank in their eye. What makes it so hard for them is because they're liberal or because they go to, they do this or because they do that. So I'm just calling it as it is. And maybe that's why it's so hard for us to look at ourselves. Because we justify it. We say, well, they have, I have every right to respond to them to that way because of what they are or because of what they did or because of the behavior or because of the lifestyle they have. And we like to just put the focus on that. Or maybe we say, hey, I'm just calling it as it is. What I see is what I call. I'm just saying the truth. And we kind of just cover up the question that Jesus is trying to probe us with. Jesus continues to make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. How can you say to your brother, to your boss, to your spouse, to your friend, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Why do you keep on focusing on trying to correct them, 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 when you got huge issues yourself? Why is that continuing to be your focus? And then Jesus says a word that non-Christians love to say or love to point out to Christians. Jesus tells followers of Jesus. He calls them hypocrites. Jesus, calling his followers, hypocrites. He says, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do you know why God extends immeasurable amounts of grace to us? Why does he extend incomprehensible amount of love to us that is hard for us to understand or grasp? Do you know why he extends that to you? Do you know why he extends that to me? Because he loves us for who we are. He loves us for who we are, even with our weakness, even with the plank in my own eye, even with the struggles and, and, and the, the weight and the sins that I bear. Jesus still pushes immeasurable amount of grace to me. Even with my background, even with my shortcomings, even with my struggles, even with my past, Jesus still extends that 
to me. This is what makes Christianity irresistible. This is what made the hospital irresistible for the first centuries of Christianity. This is what should make Christianity irresistible now. It's because of grace. I want to share something written by a missionary. His name is St. Paul the Apostle. And he said this approximately 51 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. 51 years after. Listen to the tense of how this author is writing this epistle to a group of people in the city of Rome. This is what St. Paul says. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. How does God demonstrate his own love? By putting on skin. This is how, Jesus, uh, this is how God demonstrates his own love for us is this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. If I, if I kind of expand upon the Greek and look at the tense of what St. Paul is using, it's, it's even hard for us to grasp. He's saying that even through my, my sins that I'm doing now, 30, 51 years after Jesus' life, through his death, I have new life now. That, that through my, my sins that I commit now, that through what occurred on that event that occurred 51 years ago, I am still made whole now. I'm still made new now. That, that, that God, who put on skin, who is above time, that through his action, I have new life, and I'm transformed, and I am made whole now. How? I don't know, no, but I know that that divine reality is a present reality right now in my life. That even though that I sin now and I make a mistake, but I come back to him, and I might fall again, I still come back to him, I am made whole. This is how God demonstrates his own love for us. That while we still struggle with our sins, with our weakness, with the plank in our eye, God, God, Christ died in the flesh and overcame death in order for us to have life. Many people think, well, Jesus came, you know, that he you know, took sides on, on these type of people or this group of people. Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came alongside us. He didn't look at the labels. He came to extend immeasurable amounts of grace to us. And he didn't come to say, take sides with this group of people or this group of people. He extended it to all. He came alongside us, not to take sides. But there is an exception to this. There is a group of people where Jesus did not come alongside. These were the graceless people. These were the super spiritual leaders of society that just walked around like this and said, this is justice, and this is what the law says, and this... ...skin on him, that they were so blinded by, by that, and they lived a life without grace. They were just full truth all the time, where Jesus was not able to penetrate into their lives at all. Because they've completely shut that out from their lives. They completely allowed Jesus not to work in their lives. Planks get in the way of grace. The plank in my eye is a barrier in order for, 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 for me to, in, to allow God's grace to work in my life. That plank, that, that issue, that struggle... That, that's blinding my sight from seeing God work in my life, this is what's putting a block for me, uh, allowing God's grace to work in my life. 
the more aware I am of what God has yet to do in me, the more I am aware of what God has yet to do in me, the less aware I am of someone else's shortcomings. The more I put the focus on my weakness, on my struggle of what of, of how I need to find edification, the more I put that focus on, the more I put my focus on, on, on allowing, inviting God to work in my life, the more I put that focus on me, the less I wear of someone else's shortcomings. Listen, we always walk in the place and we judge the people and that's those group of people. You see what she's doing? You see what? And we, we love to point out others. That's our natural reflex because of our brokenness. But the more I put the focus on what God is doing inside of me and inviting him for his grace to work with me just as it has transformed millions of people that have come before me. If I'm wanting that same transformation, the more I need to put the focus on God working within my life. And the more I put that, the, the, put making aware of God working in my life, the less I wear of someone else's shortcomings. This divine truth was expressed in so many different ways in, in ancient Christianity. You want to use the word repentance. You want to use the word living a repentant life. You want to use the word introspection. Use whatever verbiage you want. But the reality of the truth is still there. Just to give you one example, throughout the centuries, any the beginning of any liturgical service, any liturgical service uh, service found in the Coptic Orthodox Church tradition, it begins with the very first words that the priest begins by saying, "Have mercy on us." Before anything else, even before in the name of the Father and the Son, the church begins by saying, "Have mercy on us." If I'm wanting to take my limitedness, my limit limitedness, and connect with the unlimited. I first had to acknowledge I'm weak. I have to acknowledge I need, his, I need his grace, I need his mercy to work within me. I have to first be open. I have to be receptive. I have to, I have to open my heart to him. I have to come with my brokenness to him. That is the very first words that we say as we begin any liturgical service in ancient Christianity. Is that we begin by saying, God, have mercy on us. And even these words are found all throughout any type of framework of ancient Christian uh, prayer or worship. We have something in, that guides us in personal prayer. So this is true. So have mercy on us beginning of any liturgical prayer. That's communal prayer. But this is also true in personal prayer. That the church guides us in how do we do personal prayer. Because we personal prayer, we say, you know, God, help me with this thing at work. Help me with my exam. We don't know what to say. But the church kind of holds our hand and guides us through a book that we know called the Egbeya, which is the Coptic word. just means a, a, a book consisting of various prayers throughout the day that guides me in prayer. And the, 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 one of the very first things that we say, <coughs> excuse me, one of the very first things that we say, we say, let me give thanks to God. Even though there's a lot of bad things going on, let me give thanks to him. And then the second thing we say is we recite the words of one of the most amazing musicians on planet Earth, King David, where, where we recite his psalm that he wrote down as he is journaling his weakness. We say the same words as him. Have mercy on us. That we tap into him looking inside of himself. We're tapping into how he allowed God to be aware in his life. We tap into him inviting God's grace to work in his life. We tap into his language, his verbiage that he uses for God to work in his life. And we use those exact same words in our life today. And this is part of the structure of what the church gives us in, in guiding us in personal prayer. You'll also notice something else in ancient Christianity. 
we don't just say, yeah, God, forgive if I did anything wrong. Okay, if I did something wrong to this person, you know, you know, forgive me. But you know, they did something wrong, but you know, they know what they did wrong, but you know, forgive me if I did anything wrong. What does the church say? What's the language that the church gives us to help us guide us and how we can allow God's immeasurable grace to work within us? For him, for, 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 for him to reveal to me the darkness inside of me. What's the language, the verbiage that the church gives us? You'll see this in different forms. You'll say, God, anything that I have committed knowingly that I did intentionally, or maybe the things I did unintentionally, the things I do knowingly, and maybe the things that I did unknowingly. Maybe the things I, I, I did willingly, maybe the things I didn't do unwillingly. Lose those, those chains. Remit those, those, those chains, those sins, that plank from my eye. Loosen that plank from my eye. If, if something I've committed knowingly or unknowingly or willingly or unwillingly, if there's anything that's there because of my brokenness, like remove that from me. I need to remove those chains. We use the, the language loosen those chains from me. This is the language that the church gives us. Instead of saying, God, forgive if I did anything wrong. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that, but the church is trying to add more color to that description for me to remove that plank within my eye because our natural reflex, our brokenness, is pointing out what they're doing wrong. Did you see what he said? You see what he did? We love to just point at other people without looking at what is in our eyes. And that's the uncomfortable question Jesus asked 2,000 years ago. And this should make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Why do you put the focus on, on the speck of dust in there, and, uh, on your friend's eye, on your, on your spouse's eye? When you've got a plank in your own eye. Love this beautiful thing I read this week when I was preparing for this. There was uh, an early Christian by the name of St. Augustine. He was from Algeria. And he said this around the year 380 AD. He, it's like a, a long meditation, but I'll paraphrase for you. I love this. That any time that he sees a weakness in someone else, he sees pride, he sees like anger, he sees a weakness in someone else, he asks himself, I, I see they struggle with this. Do I struggle with that without me realizing? Anytime he sees a weakness in someone else, anytime he sees a speck of dust in someone else, he asks himself, do I have that speck of dust in my eye too? Like I see them struggling with that, but do I have that? Like this is coming from, from, uh, from an early Christian who was a convert. He lived a crazy life before, and he became an unbelievable writer of early Christianity. And his meditation, when he read what Jesus was saying, he said, yeah, you know what? Like when I see my friend, my brother, my boss, my coworker, when I see them struggling with this, do I have that in my life as well? And that was his meditation. Anytime that he sees a weakness in someone else, he asks him, do I have that? Maybe I don't see it. Like I see it in them. I can clearly see it in them. Maybe they don't know it. But do I have that in myself? God, give me clarity to know, do I have that same plank in my eye that I see in them? Psychologists say the things that bother us when we see it in other people, the thing that irritates us when we see that person doing that or acting that or saying that, the thing that, that, that bothers us about someone else is a reflection of the thing we don't like in ourselves. The thing that we see in someone else that we don't, they're so snobby, is a reflection. This is, this is not my word. This is psychologists. They're saying that's a reflection of something I don't like about myself. And I just don't like it about them. But in reality, subconsciously, it's saying that I don't like that about myself. The flip side of that, the flip side of that, think about the people that, that inspire you the most or the people that have had a positive influence on you, that molded you the most. Reality will show why you're attracted to them and why they were able to be so impressionable to you. It's because of the grace they extended 
you. We talked about this in week one. A first eyewitness of Jesus Christ who saw such a wide array of things, who wrote one of the four accounts of Jesus' life, one of the Gospels, John, and also wrote other books in Scripture. Out of anything he could have said to, to articulate who this rabbi is, who Jesus is, who he eventually realized is God in flesh, he said, this man is the light that came into the darkness of my life. And this man somehow is 100% truth and calls it as it is, but he's also 100% grace. And he saw that beautiful mixture of both being 100%. And for him, that blew his mind. But for society, that's what made them crucify him. This is what made the politicians and the, and the, and the religious leaders couldn't stand seeing somebody embody grace and truth together. 100%, and they couldn't take it. But because of that, this is what made the church so irresistible. This is what made the church, the hospital, so appealing because of this grace. This is why our first core value here at St. Mark Church is to come as you are. For us to extend that same grace that Jesus extends to us, that we are called, we are invited to extend that to others. As we extend that to others, let's look at ourselves. What is that block in, in my life that's preventing God from working in my life? What's the plank of my eye that's preventing God to work in my life? And let me extend that same, same grace that Jesus extended to such a wide array of people in the first century. And we are called to do the same as his body, as his church. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. God, your grace is something that's it's hard for us to understand or even experience, really. But we know that it can only be revealed to us through having an, a relationship with you, only having an experience with you. Lord, all of us struggle with something that's blocking us from seeing you in our lives. We want to come to you with our weakness we want to be fully aware of you working in our life and let that be our focus, not the, 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 the issues that we see in other people or their struggles, but let that, let that bounce back to us and say, where, where am I going wrong? Where am I kind of straying away from God's immeasurable grace or his immeasurable love? Let that be our focus. For us to, to, to continue to pursue you who is fully God, fully man, fully true, and fully grace together. This is what makes you so attractive. This is what makes you so appealing, and we want to continue to pursue you and extend that to those around us. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever.